Ernie. I'm glad you're here. I took a shot at the poem. Your many hairs make a single head of hair. The way many mountains make a range. To see you void of light is strange. But we know you will tower again like a noble tulip above the lawn of the possible. Jesus, Bob. I know, but it's a first draft. Hello and welcome to Pod 49, a fan podcast about the now defunct show Lodge 49 on a network that shall remain nameless uh, now that they have canceled our favorite show. I am joined as always by my co-hosts Jim and Bart. I am also joined by a cast of characters because tonight is the first installment of the Middlemen Book Club. Middlemen, of course, the short story collection by Lodge 49 creator and showrunner Jim Gavin. And this has been a long time in, a uh, long time coming to do the book club. We've been teasing it for months and months, but we figured that here in uh, coronavirus lockdown, where everyone now knows what Zoom is, we could figure out a way to get it done and maybe people would have some fun with it. So we decided this was a perfect time. It was kismet that we we were uh, uh, lazy and put it off in the, in the intermediate months here. See, it all worked out in the end. Jim, Bart, anything you want to say before we kick off about, about the book club, your excitement level? I was an English major, so this is like uh, old hat for me. I don't know. I'm, I'm ready to get on and start discussing the books, the stories, I mean. As we've mentioned before, there are some parallels and similarities between the TV show and some of the stories in this book. So it almost feels like you're back into uh, the world of Lodge 49. Loved reading the book the first time around and excited to get into it a little deeper. All right. So we're, we're, welcome, uh, we're going to welcome a cast of characters here uh, to the podcast and to the book club discussion. Maybe I'll say, give you... Give yourself a quick introduction. Maybe uh, you know where you're where you're calling in from. What state? Where are you locked down at? Uh, and maybe a little bit why you were motivated to to join join the book club and to take this this uh, a wacky journey. So I'm gonna sort of I'll call you out here because I can kind of cue people. So Julie, why don't you unmute your mic and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Julie. I'm a librarian in South Bend, Indiana. And um, I just, this show really stuck with me. And um, over the holiday break, I read uh, Middlemen, you know, over Christmas break. And the stories have just kind of stayed with me in, in my mind. And so I was really excited when you guys decided to do this book club. So we can help get them out of your brain, right? We can, it's like the earworm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Ryan, same thing. Where, where are you located and what motivated you to join this wacky adventure? Hey, guys, I'm uh, Ryan Behrens. I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, representing... Brewers, of course. Um, I'm a writer and editor for Channel Guide Magazine, TV Weekly, and TV Insider. I'm a TV critic, so um, I have written about Lodge 49 a few times. Um, primarily, though, I'm a fan, so um, I've been a big supporter of the series. Uh, love interacting with you guys and the cast. Um, really, as a TV critic, the best show I've seen in my 20 years in the business, quite honestly. Um, I read middlemen back in fall of last year so hopefully <laughs> you guys will be able to jog my memory on some things I, re I remember it uh i remember most of the, the major points but um one really cool thing about it when i finished reading middlemen i don't know what compelled me to read the acknowledgements 
in in just to see if maybe there was names I, I recognized. And sure as hell, one of the names is my wife's cousin. Um, <laughs> apparently, she took a writing course with Jim Gavin at UCLA 10 years ago or, or something and um, helped him in some way or another. And she got an acknowledgement in the book. Awesome. Yeah. Signs and symbols. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. All right. And our last special guest here on installment one of the book club podcast is Mike. Mike, give us a little bit about yourself. Hey, I'm Mike Quilligan. I'm uh, out of North Carolina, uh, though I grew up in Indianapolis, uh, South Bend. It seems like there's a lot of uh, Hoosier links. Curious thing. Right? Yeah, I, I also have, like Bart, uh, a background in English stuff. I was uh, excited to hear that the, the creator of the show had a book. I loved the show. Um, hungry for more after after the, the news in mid-December. I, I picked up the book and, and read it through uh, in early January and uh, was really stoked to hear that this would be a, a, an upcoming episode of 49. I really enjoyed the show. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you all. all right. uh, just so you know, we're going to be yeah. talking about the first two book, uh, stories, excuse me, Play the Man and Bermuda. And we'll start off with uh, Play the Man. And, you know, we're just going to open it up. Uh, this one, I'll, I'll start it off and <clears throat> someone can jump in after me. Uh, this one, I, I don't, all I could think about was the, was the Jim Carroll book and then thus movie Basketball Diaries as I was reading this. It was like a updated Southern California version of, of the Basketball Diaries. Although, uh, although the character in, in this book isn't quite as good as Jim Carroll was in, in there, um, which I think was part of the, the point of it. But it gave, it did give me instant recollections to, to that to that novel, which I also quite enjoyed. Who who wants to lead us off talking about play the man? Hi there, it's Claire. <laughs> oh, Claire! Hey, yeah. <laughs> how are y'all doing? Um, I uh, sorry, I don't know if you want me to introduce myself too. I didn't yeah, know, please. Like, no, go uh, for it. I'm Claire Edwards. I am from um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, originally, but I now live in Van Nuys. Um, it is very hot here right now. I am a Directors Guild trainee and Hollywood is shut down right now. So I'm mostly uh, at home and I'm also a video editor. So I've been trying to find little jobs here and there. And uh, I was also wanting to do the book club because I have a background in English and film like analysis. And so I thought that was a good chance to, uh, to explore that. And I hope I don't talk too much. So yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah. I just went to Gridview, which I should have done, because there's Jennifer. Jennifer, why don't yeah. you introduce yourself and why you joined the book club? Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm Jennifer. I'm from Utah, and I just joined the book club because I loved Lodge 49 and was interested in reading the book because people said it had a lot of similarities to Lodge 49 and was just really fun. So that's why I wanted to join the book club. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Uh, now we'll go ahead and get started. Who wants to jump us in to play the man? I wanted to talk about um, masturbation. Is that, is that all right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, sure. No censors. Okay. Well, um, so I was thinking a lot about um, how he describes, like, how he doesn't uh, jerk off, really. And I thought mm. about the themes of, like, um, delayed gratification and how uh, that is sort of a theme, like it, it's sort of a um, something that's almost considered virtuous, especially in a capitalist society, to just strive and strive and like hope that you eventually get some sort of payoff. 
payoff, as it were, payload, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was thinking a lot about that and how it also plays into like themes of Catholicism and like self-denial and things like that. So I don't, uh, I don't know much about sports, um, but I, I know a thing or two about masturbation, I guess. So um, mm. that's, <laughs> that's, that's my uh, jumping in point for it anyway. Doesn't he finally masturbate at the very end he of does. the story? Yeah. Right, yeah. But also like, yeah. I think once he's realized he's sort of mortgaged his future by accident, like he's mm. like, uh, you know, when he feels relieved almost because there's no like big glory waiting for him in, ba- in uh, basketball. That's how I started reading it. I have more notes, but y'all go ahead. Elmar Vinmetz in Lodge 49. Dad, Amelis provides inspiration. The intoxicating riddle that lies at the heart of every great work. Sex would only ruin my process. That's why I haven't ejaculated in 10 years. Well, I, I won't allow myself to until I finish the tale of Tom Stone. Damn. Mm. That's commitment. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad that you are, Lamar. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. Right. The self-denial. And it's, um, Metz talks about how, how that self-denial is, is what's allowing him that sort of, um, he's able to pour that energy into his writing, right? And perhaps yeah. in the same way, in that kind of mortgaging the future uh, <laughs> of, of the basketball career that, that seems like it will will probably never come, but it kind of clinging desperately to it, uh, cruel optimism, right? Or that it's like he can that once he's focus able all to his energy. Go, he has that cry, that release. Yeah. He has the same kind of energy into his basketball regimen as Elmar Metz does into his writing, right? It's like a daily yeah. activity. And, um, you know, maybe neither one of them are actually very good at it, but uh, that's what they're going to focus on. And any distraction like masturbation, would really get in the way of their goal. And I didn't even think about this, but I think you're totally right. But then L. Marvin Metz, like, you know, has sex, uh, you know, in the phone booth, the same way our character in Play the Man masturbates at the very end, right? It's very similar sort of release. And both of them, you know, and L. Marvin Metz is also like arguing with his uh, agent. He's kind of coming to grips with the fact that he's not going to sell any books anymore. And I think the character's arc also in the story is that he's um, not going to be a great basketball player, right? Right. And there's also with Catholicism, there's a sense that, you know, this is something you're not supposed to do and you're supposed to, you know, deny yourself pleasures in that way in other ways. And I think there's a fear built into that, that like, if you do this thing, it's going to mess you up in other ways. It's going to like set you on some kind of tailspin or jinx you or something. And once you have lost the idea that like you actually have this big goal you're working toward, it's like, well, who cares then anyway? And another parallel is that Dud in season one, when he first moves in with Liz, says something about he hadn't masturbated in a few weeks or something like that, right? So there's a the Dud element as well. Just to make another connection to Lodge 49, I, I know that uh, Dud hadn't masturbated like, or hadn't been able to like achieve orgasm, but I didn't know if that was sort of a thing relating to like, uh, the Fisher King sort of like Arthurian myth thing. You know, he's like the last line, like, or the last of a line of Kings. The Fisher King is like wounded and he can't uh, procreate or like really have sex. And so I thought that was kind of a parallel, but it might go back also to like, there's a lot of like impotence in, um, yeah, the men in this book as well. And I was thinking also about uh, 
like one of the books that the coach suggests is On the Road. And that's a book that's entirely about just trying to find instant gratification, <laughs> like issuing like bourgeois convention and going on the road. And like, I don't really like On the Road. I don't really like Jack Kerouac, but like um, I thought it's interesting, like um, in cases like those, like when you pursue instant gratification, like kind of to stick it to the man, sometimes you actually end up sticking it to like, people who are more marginalized than you and like uh like all the women that they knock up as they travel across the united states that's just what i was thinking about it's been a while since i read uh, on the road it uh i don't <laughs> i don't i don't know if it ages well like as you get older like the prose is kind of beautiful but other than that i don't yeah it was kind of like a big deal i was supposed to be like a great book when i read it and yeah. uh, so i haven't really thought about it much since then but it's you know been a while for me but it was yeah it was influential at the time when I read it, but yeah. I think I probably also didn't get a lot of it too, mm-hmm. in some ways. I just reread Big Sur by Jack Kerouac, which if you oh. want a more middle-aged life is just an uh, endless uh, disappointment of instant gratification <laughs> and what does it all mean, uh, and to be very depressed at the end, but have a much better literary experience, I'd say at the place, at least where I'm at in my life, Big Sur resonated much, much more loudly. The one scene from the story that really stuck out with me was um, when after he's had the wet dream and he goes to throw out his boxers and his dad is like in the shed listening to Bonnie Raitt. There was just something about that scene that just kind of has just stayed with me. I don't, I don't know, like he just kind of has a way of kind of writing these moments. And that was true <laughs> in Lodge also. Something about the story that stuck with me is how, whether it's middlemen or Lodge 49, how much, uh, I feel like we're just almost like the same age and have kind of gone through a lot of the same things. And so like there's moments you have with your parents that uh, you never talk about, but you feel some closeness with them because of the era that it was. He brought up the never ending cheesy lasagna from Costco, I think. And I had completely forgotten that that existed. Also, he brings up uh, Len Bias. And I'm from Maryland, and that's a huge, that was a huge part of my childhood, and I haven't thought about it in, I mean, I just don't really think about it that often, and those kinds of things all sort of tie in, for me, that just like sort of click why I like his writing so much, and also uh, the show so much, because it just seems like it's like somebody that, you know, lived on my block or something as a kid, or, you know, I don't know. I, I love that moment too, throwing out his boxers because like the parents must also know that he, if you're the mom, you know that you have to replace his underwear, you know? You, <laughs> I was you, like, just do not, your laundry, man, do your own laundry. <laughs> yeah, but if he's throwing it out, she has to replace it. It's yeah. like this unspoken thing where you have to go through it. They have to go through it too. No one talks about it. And that's like, from my age group, certainly that's like what the way my relationship with my, with my parents as well, you know, it's like, and the dad had his own secrets to too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the idea is that like, was it's talking okay about to finding have secrets. Yeah. Which I think it is. And um, I, I think it's also good to to be like uh to be able to talk with your children. But I think it's also fine to have secrets. Um I had a question uh just for the group. Um you mentioned uh Lynn Baez. Baez? Baez? Yeah. Bias. And um Bias, yeah. And uh I was just thinking about how all Pat's favorite players are guys who kind of peaked early and then like didn't do so well on the pros. So it's like John Williams and Pearl Washington and Lynn Bias. And like, um, I don't know, what do y'all think the significance of that is? If y'all have <laughs> thoughts on that. <laughs> um, 
boy, you know what? I, I, I think Gavin really, I just to get a sense from this story that Gavin understands basketball on a higher plane than um, the average and does. I mean, there are some people who, who understand the game and its nuances in a way that I I cannot. <laughs> I was terrible at basketball and there's certain certain things that Gavin seems to understand. Um, you know, Len Bias he was a promising player who died of a cocaine overdose. Um, Earl the Pearl Washington, uh, I, you know, he was a great college player. Again, you know, I, I liked how, how Gavin sort of went to um, more obscure players. And he's, he's like, I like this guy's game, even though he's not, not a flashy, you know, he's, he's not Michael Jordan, he, but he appreciates his game on a, on a certain level that, uh, you know, the average casual basketball fan doesn't quite understand. Well, there's something about Jim Gavin characters, right? Like they, they celebrate, whether it's like the celebration of the mundane or the celebration mm-hmm. of the, the never made it. I mean, there's something about that sort of beautiful loser cliche, and it's not at all cliche when he uses it, but, but you know, there is that, that theme that, that runs throughout. And when I read this for the first time, which I think we were still, I might even read it before season two came out. I can't remember exactly, right around in that gap. And it, it really solidified for me, just like, you know, the kind of beautiful hangdog characters that that populate all of his stories. And I, I, I think that this character, there's such youthful optimism here that gets, that get, kind of gets wrecked, but then there's a new understanding, right? There's some transcendence that comes from that, like acceptance of normal. And that's really stuck stuck with me about this story in particular, you know, because I think we all have to kind of come to grips with our own normalcy. Um, piggybacking on what you said about like sort of these hangdog characters and everything, like it's like the archetype of like the cosmic fool or like the universal punching bag or something like that. But uh, did y'all read, there's just like a two page interview with Jim Gavin at the back of the book. The interviewer remarked on how the stories start with uh, like adolescence. And I guess I, I've only read the first two chapters, but they go on through um, middle age or so. I think how uh, Jim Gavin says he thinks about it is he thinks about it in terms of the guild system. So like uh, the first few stories, the protagonists are like naive and clueless and sort of bumbling and like find themselves in mentorship relationships without really realizing it. Like they haven't yet, they're just uh, kind of boundless potential, but because they're just boundless potential, they don't they don't really know what to make of the world or how to make their way through it. And I thought that was an interesting uh, as I was reading it the first time around that like, uh, you know, it's obviously like younger and then middle and then older, but you realize when you're reading it that it's written by somebody who isn't even as old as the last character. So he has this grasp of like, you know, the stages of life in a very, um, I don't know, commanding way. It also feels like if, if someone wrote the best version of me in, in my loserness way or something, you know, like, I think we, all sort of relate to that. I think that's why it's like appealing to us, you know? And I, I also, for me anyway, I, I went to Catholic school as well, like uh, grade school and high school. And so like the whole feeling of the gymnasium and the sort of like, and, the, and the, the coach that like needs their personal car to drive you around and doesn't have enough money for gas, like <laughs> that all resonated very uh, strongly with me in this whole story. And I mean, and I also, you know, I played basketball, but I was terrible at it. Like, uh, and I liked basketball a lot, but I was very terrible at it. I was probably better at like, I played football, basketball, baseball. That's kind of like what you did when I was a kid, but I wasn't very good at any of them. I don't know. 
but like I can almost like smell the locker room by reading it, you know, and then, and then also like just even the kids that are on his team and like no one's really very serious about it, you know, like when you go to like a Catholic school, you know, it's not, it doesn't cost a lot of money to go there. So their sports programs are not very well funded <laughs> or nobody cares. And so you like are perennial losers, like that all like stuck with me, you know, like you do it as an activity you're not, you're, you know, you're not very good at it. You don't have any thoughts that you're going to make the pros or something like that, but it's like a Catholic school and you like show up and then you just want to like be part of something, I guess, you know what I mean? And I, I don't know, that, that comes across very well, even though their basketball team was much better than any basketball team I've ever been a part of. I was going to ask what people thought of the character of Tully, which one of the first things we hear about the protagonist is that he looked People think he looks like him. And then he has these parallels where he uh, ends up working at the same, you know, store as him. And I feel like that character is kind of held up as like almost a weird alter ego. I just I was wondering if anybody else had, had thought about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, uh, Telly is is our main character if he um, if he didn't give a damn, if he just let himself go the whole time. Yeah, if he had maybe like... If, if he masturbated. <laughs> right. right, right. Tully is is what our protagonist could be if he just let himself live his life as a high school student instead of obsessed about about this early peaking <laughs> possible basketball career. Right. The, right. the fact that, that all of his his idols um, have these these early rises and, and kind of meteoric falls um, that seems to to point to the fact that he knows at some level that he's not not really good enough to really make it. But it's sort of, if only he can kind of make it, <laughs> that'll be enough. Right. Yeah, but then, and then also his family, so much of it is riding on on him of, of their hopes collectively because like the little brothers all have to rebound with him and it's on their chore wheel and just the, the parents seem to both, I mean, they, they sent him to Trinity, which is a higher uh, tuition, thinking that somehow that would translate into success that would be able to benefit them all, I guess. So maybe part of it is that pressure from without and, and that he puts on himself too. Maybe Tully is the guy who, who it was him without any of that too. Yeah, it's also the same, sad. the same acne and the same, uh, <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, I was going to say the, the way he's like, Oh, I could get my, I can't get my braces off because my dad lost his job and can't pay for the dental. You know, like, a lot of similar themes that like kind of come through on Lives 49, I think just like uh, heartbreaking stories that you sort of relate to with like little, and it's just like a, it's just like a, and one thing I noticed was he just, it's like uh, as well as the show is done, it's very efficient the way he kind of like, it's just really like one little line that he just throws in there and it gives such a, like a depth to your understanding of everything that's kind of going on. And it's just like a throw, almost not, not a throwaway line, but it's just like a line that's in there and it doesn't like, it never repeats the thought, but it just kind of like comes through very well. Does anyone have a personal story of a time in your adolescence or young adulthood where you realized that you weren't very good at something that you had dedicated a bunch of your your life to? Yeah, me. I I was not very athletic, but I was kind of mediocre in <laughs> golf. Um, it's good to I, be mediocre. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I I I suppose it maybe in other high school I could have made the golf team but just getting cut from the golf team in my sophomore year in high school just really hurt it just it 
Yeah, it was, and the way they did it too was kind of insult to injury. They made us go out to this country club, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, the following people I've made the team. The rest of you guys, call your parents to come and pick you up." It's like, just <laughs> yeah. Was it like so. making the mingle? So yeah, that's that's my story. What did you learn about yourself, Ryan, through that? Um, God, you know what? What did I learn about myself? Or did you just learn that I other people were know. assholes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, like, I don't know. You, you, I think it's maybe because no matter how, how good you think you are at something, there's always somebody who's just going to kick your ass. And um, that's kind of stuck with me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> good to learn that know. sooner than later yes yes it's like you know you you think you're the shit but there's always somebody who's who's just gonna hand it to you at some point so um yeah it was very humbling there's always a beautiful jeff <laughs> that's right <laughs> in every endeavor <laughs> yeah and the coach reminded me of bob anybody else had to uh, <laughs> The coach, like the coach like, reminded me a little bit of uh, Liz's boss at Shamrocks. His name escapes Jeremy. me. Oh, Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy. Jeremy. Just a, just a little bit. Yeah. He's got a little bit of like the soft boy Jeremy thing going on, but he's like, he reminds me of Bob too, because he, he uh, aspires to some sort of literary goals. Mm-hmm. You talked me into this whole captain nonsense. You got greedy, and now beautiful Jeff's going to die. Look at him. So young. So much promise. He was going to light up the whole industry. Jesus, this is the stuff poets write poems about. And you guys know how to write a poem? I don't know, making the kids read uh, on their... I I don't think I've ever actually read um, Into the Wild. I don't know if y'all were made to read that when you were kids, but I I don't think I ever did. Or if I did, it didn't stick with me. Is that the guy that goes on, like, the wilderness adventure and never comes back or whatever? Yeah, Chris McCandless. He dies out there. So Jim, Jim's read it. <laughs> I read it. Yeah. So Jim, okay, Jim's read it. Yeah. I, saw um, the movie. I mean, it's yeah. Is it? It's uh, I don't know. It's Jack London, right? And like, probably involves wolves. Oh wait, you're thinking? Oh, that, are, you, are you talking about Call of the Wild? Call, Call of the Wild. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, not yeah, into yeah. The wild. Say, the, <laughs> the other wild book is, is actually yeah. Into the Wild is more recent. So in in the time that this story is set, I don't think that book was around yet. Shit, what was Into the Wild? Is that, that was just what you decided. That's the one, Sorry. that's okay. the one, yeah, yeah, the Alaska one, yeah. Okay. They're both Alaska, I believe. Anyone else want to be as brave as Ryan and share a moment that, you know, you <laughs> could relate to our main character here where you have the, the crushing disappointment that we're not as good as what we think we are? I mean, I'd share a story if I could relate to it, but. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's like, it's just, it, I never had a big moment like that, but it's sort of the gradual, like, um, when you are young, you start off as just pure potential and you could be anything. You don't know what you're going to be good at, but like the truth is eventually it narrows down and you become more specialized and like you realize what you're good at and what you might just want to do that's going to bring you joy without, um, you know, any hopes of monetizing it or uh, anything like that. Like I love drawing and stuff in high school and I used to do dance and um, yeah, as you get older, you you know, it's like there's such freedom and raw potential, but it's also sort of like stymieing until you can figure out where your talents lie. That's a, my thoughts on it. One thing I thought was sort of interesting was this idea that 
and, and someone mentioned this earlier that, that the family, like all their hopes and dreams and that, you know, was in this one poor kid, right? And that, that reminded me a lot of sort of these things around Lodge 49, not necessarily the familial element, but that there's always like the, you know, the, the, the next big score, the great adventure, that the, the scrolls, the Bitcoins, like there's always like these sort of like collective hope in something that really is even, even if he was exceptional, mm-hmm. you know, the path to, you know, family fortune through basketball is a, you know, almost astronomical, you know, you know, kind of lottery ticket like, like thing, but they, they were holding on to this, you know, impossible dream, so to speak about that. Did, they, did that part resonate with anyone else's a Lodge 49 theme crossover? Um, it kind of reminded me of Liz, how like her dad and dad were always talking about how she's destined for great things. And I think that put a lot of pressure on her. Kind of reminded me of that. Maybe Absolutely. the pressure is one of the things that kind of causes her to sabotage herself whenever she starts having something good happen. Mm. Well, yeah. I... Um, I thought about like, there's this kind of fantasy that you can save yourself or save your family through like some great moment of glory. But like the truth is usually a lot more mundane and it's a lot more grinding and like paying off debt slowly and like slowly clawing your way out of it in some way. And, uh, but that that's just, uh, that's so grim. (laughs) It can, it can be grim and like, uh, there's a certain kind of heroism in being like just sort of a grinder basically. Um, but it's not the sort of thing you write epic poetry about, you know? So it's uh, maybe less interesting to people who are more poor, like prone to uh, dreams and shit like that. So. All right, we're going to move on to Bermuda, the second story here. Uh, but I want to give an opportunity. Does anyone have any closing statements or things that feel unsaid about play the man. I just want to say, we didn't mention the Volkswagen thing, which uh, the coach has. Right. Um, First appearance of that. And then also just a fun fact I discovered when I was looking up, I was like, is Wally George a real person? I think he was because I sort of remembered him from TV from when I was a kid, but not, but I couldn't remember if he was actually real. He was real, and his daughter is Rebecca De Mornay. Little bit of trivia. Nice, Jim. Deep pull there, Jim. Nice work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, right. I did. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, I was just saying. I liked that one part where um, the coach was talking about kind of the day of days scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of that yeah. relation to Lodge 49. I thought that was kind of fun. I love how the coach was uh, going to buy them all something to eat and then try to put it on his card and it wasn't working. Oh, that oh, really that resonated so with me. Yeah. I had that poor I bastard. Had a, I had a coach who, uh, when I was really young, and he used to take us to McDonald's all the time. And I remember thinking that, that I couldn't believe how much money he must have because he used to take us all the time. <laughs> and then one time, he because he, he also had like I don't know like maybe Snickers in his car. I know this is sounding uh, creepy, but it really wasn't. <laughs> he was a, he was a very good dude. But uh, one time we after practice we were all rooting through his car and he lost it and he threw us all out. And um, I felt like a shit heel uh, because we really were sort of. 
I mean, what was I supposed to do? I was like eight years old and you always are taking us to McDonald's and giving us these treats and stuff, but we all did it. And he was so angry one time, he just like sort of lost it with us. And I think that moment of the coach wanting to take his kids out, but not having the money kind of resonated with me because, you know, at some point this guy was probably just, you know, whatever. I mean, I went to Catholic school, so they, they obviously didn't pay him. He was not getting paid to like, be our coach. He was the assistant coach even. And he probably just did it because he liked kids or whatever and not in a creepy way, but just like, you know, and like, I don't know, there was something very genuine about the guy. And I always felt, I've never forgotten about how we sort of raided his car that way. And I felt like a shit heel about it. <laughs> and, um, and there was something that struck me about that moment too, where he tries to take out his the kids and, he, and, he, and just, his cards get rejected because when I was a kid, like, you know, teachers had no money, their cars sucked and they, uh, you know, broke down all the time. They drove these little heaps of shit. And, um, and, and we also used to make fun of them, which the, the kids on the team sort of like break his balls all the time. You know, I was like, kind of like that as a kid too, you know, <laughs> nothing you can say can make that guy sound less creepy right now. But <laughs> He was an all right guy. I don't, he, it, it sounds terrible, but he, I don't know. Or maybe he was a creep, and I just you know. But nothing ever happened. I'll say that. A nice, a nice creep. Yeah, a nice creep. As someone right, who moving made, on. Oh. oh yeah. So no, let's go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask Bart because you said he went to Catholic school. Um, are the frequent appeals to like the Saints a common thing amongst like basketball coaches? You know, like uh, talking about Polycarp. Was he a saint? Right, like. Who? Polycarp. He's the guy who got burned the at the high stake. school. The yeah. high school. It's the, yeah, it's I mean, the that's, school, that's the whole, you know, play the man is the yeah. uh, saying that they have, but they adjust it for, you know, basketball. Right, yeah. Was, it was, it was. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I went to St. Jude's, which was uh-huh. the patron saint of lost causes. <laughs> um, and so St. Jude Thaddeus, I don't know. Yeah, yeah but that, like that, Thematically, yes, that is always what they're doing. They're always referring to saints, and that's like an understood sort of thing. Um, you know, you learn about the saints very early on. It's very creepy. Or like most of them are like murdered in some weird way. Right. Um, and there's like graphic pictures of them. It's all very bloody um, and very manipulative so that you feel bad about like what other people have done for you. That's what it's sort of right. about. So then, yes, as kids in this institution, you end up like sort of mocking it to some degree um, because, you know, they're trying to make you feel bad about it. So you end up like making fun of it because, you you know, you got to laugh or you'll cry in this way, you know. So I know Jim and Bart, any other Catholic school uh, veterans from our uh, panel here? Mm. Oh, just just Bucky and two of us, <laughs> and, uh, Bart and Jim here. So, yeah, me neither. All right, so let's move on to Bermuda, the second story. And and yes, for those of you that read through, it does sort of. It's kind of like the it goes through each story is a little bit older of someone in their their life cycle. So here we kind of have young adulthood. I'll just have to say to kick this story off, Bermuda might be my favorite story in the collection. Um, mm. Only because basically the the origin story for this podcast in many ways is that 
Jim, Bart, and I lived in this house, basically, mm -hmm. uh, many, many eons ago. So <laughs> and, and, everything, uh, everything about the story deeply resonated me, Re you know, communal living, losers, uh, failed bands, records everywhere. So uh, I, I, this is the one story for me that I definitely was like, oh my God, this is this was me at, at 24. So as well as I really wish I was smart enough to not bring my girlfriend home to the house. <laughs> that was something when I reread it, how it like stuck in with me, like how he doesn't bring her home. Like uh, I didn't notice it as much the first time around, I think, but the second time around, I was like, I was, cause I was like, Oh, their courting process takes a little while. And then I'm like, I thought they, and then of course, then they have sex and like, he kind of like reveals it in a very, that was something else I really liked the way he went through the way they um, sort of meet. And then, you know, the, the whole way it happens and the way he in, introduces it in the writing, I thought was really cool. But while I was reading it, I was like, yeah, I should have never brought my girlfriends around the house. It would have been Look who's really here. Another less. resident, another resident of that house yeah. is joining yeah. us. Oh, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's Mute your mic. Mute your mic. Uh, the, the funny part about that too is Jim's or uh, Bart's girlfriend. One of those girlfriends that he mistakenly brought around did did name that house the Treehouse of Boys <laughs> in the New York Press, which was like a Village Voice style weekly at the time. Uh, so we, of we did get, yeah, which was ridiculous because it was at least half girls that were in this flop house too, so it didn't even make sense. But there you go. There you go. All right, we're starting our Bermuda discussion. I, I had to share that quick story. But who wants to lead us off and uh, maybe with a quick impression from Bermuda to kind of get us going? I love, this, I love the mention of her hands. Like he shakes her hands and he can feel her bony long fingers. Uh, she could break the apple in half with her hands. Yeah. yeah. I love that too. I love the line. I thought it was, was a great summary for the story in many ways. It was a happy time and I couldn't wait for it to end. Yeah, it's a real heartbreaker. Yeah, it's um, when you're in that stage, it's everything's kind of new and exciting and yet you're terrified and then you look back at it 20 years later and you're like, boy, I wish I could go back to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, and hey, like you, like you guys, I had a you know three guy roommates, and yes, bringing bringing a prospective girlfriend or any female into the, the place was a bad move, just just bad move. <laughs> yeah, it was it was be embarrassing for everybody. I also liked how the the story was told. It was really a uh, you know he was telling it like reminiscing. But you kept it was very much kept in the present. But then every now and then he'd slip in like these subtle details about like this actually you know took place a long time ago. You know, so it was, sorry, my kids are going crazy. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> a flyby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it reminded me of like the first house I lived in after college with like these two guys that I barely knew and like every surface in the house was covered with like marijuana shake and dog hair because of course they had dogs that they didn't take care of, you know, that were just like wild animals. And, but there was something like almost cozy about the squalor that we lived in. And like, you know, when you're young, there's, you get wrapped up in the romanticism of like your bohemian lifestyle, but like, um, and you know, there is a certain longing you look that like, uh, 
you have for it. But um, I mean, I'm glad I'm not there anymore for sure. Yeah. I might be in Ryan's camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we you maybe back. remember, yeah, you remember the good parts of it and you wish you could go back to those and you conveniently forget the parts that you really if you were stuck back into that situation, you'd be like, oh man, get me out of here. Um, I had the same thing with marijuana seeds and whatnot and cat hair, similar house, but with cats in it. Roommates that just like didn't clean. This was in Chicago before I ever met these guys. This is these roommates. Like I moved in, they had already lived there for a year or something and probably hadn't cleaned once and never did while I was living there either. It was, um, it was, there were a lot of fun times, but it was also really nasty. Oh Yeah. There was like a beer bong on the table that, w- or not beer bong, um, a gravity bong on the table that was like a two liter Coke bottle that had the bottom cut off and like resin that was caked on about this thick, like along the side. Anyway, sorry, that's just, now I'm just thinking about that. But <laughs> that's beside the point. It'd say, do you want a hit of this? I said, no. Like, it's so, <laughs> any other way is fine. Uh, anyway. the gravity bong. I think we yeah. had one of those too. <laughs> it's a beautiful centerpiece. It's a classic centerpiece, you know, for any home. Ties everything together. Um, what were some other themes from Bermuda than than misbegotten uh, communal living youth? Oh, um, oh, I was just gonna say one quote I thought was really interesting that he said is, "I miss those days calling places, not people. I miss the hassle of getting in touch with someone." Yes. Like when you think of when you're younger, like high school, I didn't have a cell phone or anything and you'd call someone's house or call someone's work and try to find them. Just was one of those things. It's like how things change so much. Yeah. Jennifer's right. I mean, we all shared the same telephone number and trying to, yeah, yeah, it was, (laughs) I can imagine what dating is like now with, with the kids, with the texting and stuff, you know, that <laughs> it would have, it would well, have changed also, I, things. I mean, I think everything was a little bit um, more complicated, but more simple, you know? So like you had to like know someone's number to, in order to get in contact with them. And you had to like, you know, literally look at a map or bring it with you. If you wanted to drive somewhere, if you were going somewhere you didn't know. And And I, in like, it struck me too, because like, there's so much charm to that now, like looking back, I kind of missed that a little bit, you know, and it was like, life was more complicated, but more, but like more, much, much more simple, you know, like now it's like, you know, it's so much easier to do everything that you kind of uh, maybe find yourself in a bit of a trap sometimes. I don't know, but like, I, I, I do miss that too. Like it, I remember having to like know these things before you left the house. And so like, it's great that you don't need to know those things before you leave the house, but it's also, um, you know, like I, but, 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 but it's definitely reminds you of a time period where just things were just different and slower and much, uh, more calm in a way. And like, you didn't have, you know, huge expectations but that wasn't so such a bad thing either. Yeah, I love that line too. I underlined it as well. <laughs> it kind of makes me think how in Lodge 49, there's for the most part a kind of an absence of cell phones. Like, you know, Dud has the flip phone. And I guess that's one of the things that could, uh, you know, I was thinking of, I was thinking about that comment in the story too, is, is just in thinking about that show is that that kind of technology is 
it's not really a part of it. Yeah, when I'm watching a movie or TV show that goes out of its way that way to have, you know, a lot of, you know, most interactions be face-to-face and people not concerned about what's happening on social media or on their phones, it's, it's a nice break from reality because it's, I'm so tired of that being our reality right now. It's just like, oh yeah, like you can actually just have, I mean, of course, right now, we're all on lockdown and like zoom is our only way to actually, <laughs> and we're all across the country. So like, you know, there's good aspects to technology of course right now, but because we're living that so much, it's nice to be able to escape it in entertainment. On the podcast, we often talked about like the theme of like the, the technology is sidelined or doesn't, and but then it, it inserts itself in these hysterical ways, like the Bitcoin plot line and stuff so they get have these like you know you have these ping pongs where it's like nothing and then like the most esoteric version of modern day technology i always thought i always thought the way that it, it kind of balanced those things, things out was always kind of hysterical one of the other things that was really struck me about bermuda if you think about jim gavin and you think about lodge 49 is it is so much i mean he's obviously such a music head right like the, the soundtrack and then you know he was both he and Thomas Patterson, when we interviewed them, talked about how they had been friends, basically, since they would have been characters in Bermuda. Their relationship goes back that far. Um, And you really see this, like, I don't know, you see, like, that, the genesis of him as a music head and, like, being able to tell this story of these kind of, like, you know, a never was, again, like, kind of a, you know, trying hard, but never was going to be. But, like, all that milieu, the kind of esoterica and the, like, indie rock and the kind of music as a driving force, it really... I don't know. I kind of felt like this was kind of like the the primordial soup for his, you know, of of the the music storylines or the music uh, inspirations that then like really kind of blossom in Lodge Forty Nine. Yeah, I looked up the I, when I was rereading it, I I looked up Chopin's um, men, what are they called, Menadas, something. Anyway, uh, while I was reading it, I just played them. Like it's what she's like playing on the piano. They're like uh, piano solos. Because it's like Chopin, it's like, oh, it's a name I always know, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup, you know? And so I went and just put it on YouTube and I was like, oh, I know. It's like the stuff you hear at like weddings when it's just like one person, like, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's that. But uh, still, it's pretty good. And if you imagine somebody like playing it in front of you, you would be sort of blown away. Because he has like a really good opinion about music, even for a 23-year-old, like how he's like, I he says uh, it's he's got a great line where it's like I didn't respect my band my roommate's band because I the people I liked didn't care about like what they looked like on stage or I forget exactly what it is Harry Nelson and Arthur Lee yeah yeah yes Harry Nelson and Arthur Lee it's like <laughs> right and I thought right. it's me because I was a snob uh, I was into Harry Nelson and Arthur Lee when I was twenty three as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of along the same lines as Jim Gavin's um, obsession with character actors. And one of the characters in one of the later stories being proud of all the character actors he has seen or can name. Um, And just, you know, when you look at the casting of Lodge 49 and and the way, you know, yes, I kind of some minor side characters were built in just to have those kind of people in. I I don't know, but that goes along with the same kind of... uh, aesthetic yeah i i'll never forget like you know i'm a recovering music snob myself and and you know i was probably watching probably like the second episode or maybe even the first and i was enjoying it i was definitely getting hooked on the narrative i'm like the hell is going on with this soundtrack i've never heard anything this 
deep or referential on you know on a television show before i was like this is this is like a different level with the music supervi- music supervision on the show and it, it kind of continued to blow me away you just don't hear those kind of the deep cuts and i'll never forget you know thomas patterson telling us about how he like would have to be chasing down some obscure 45 and have to literally get like a widow, you know, someone to like sign off on some release. And so I talk about this idea of like having to search something out, right. He was having, having to like, you know, and he said there was plenty of stuff that he, they could never track down the rights for. Like there was plenty of stuff that just wasn't able to make it because they literally couldn't find whatever random copyright owner to, to release the song. There's um there's a passage about music that really stuck with me. Um, if y'all want to hear, it's about Chopin again, and like um, how he would sometimes take uh, take Maria out to the patio while Karen was playing um, to mm. get some fresh air, and the music sounded even better from a distance. In those moments, there was a shape to the summer heat. I felt like I was discovering something that had always been around me, but that I had never noticed before, and I thought that was just pretty beautiful and a great way to talk about music and how music like can create shapes in your mind and like um how it gives like substance just to a place that you're in somehow even though it has no real physical properties beyond um yeah I don't know I was I was moved. I like I like music fine I'm not um I'm not a huge um yeah music snob or anything but like I mean I have emotional responses to music too I'm not dead I got two ears and a heart you know, um, and I thought I thought that that was that was really lovely, and how uh, you know how sounds and music, how music can um, well, just how like sound in general can give like shape and form to words and to meaning and to um, you know signs and symbols and shit like that. You know, another example of someone trying uh, of him doing something that's like tragically poetic and like seeking glory only to be kind of disappointed. Well, I mean, also he, I don't really think the character does anything or could have done anything different, really. I mean, he kind of is like, at, like at one point you realize that he's moved on and, and he's engaged now because mm-hmm. he talks about his, he mentions his fiance, which is like kind of like a, I remember at the time just thinking it was like sort of a gut punch because I was so into the storyline of their love story kind of thing. And you kind of know it's where it's going, but then that's when it becomes a reality that doesn't work out. But he just seems like a very mature 23-year-old, especially compared to the guys that he's living with. The guys that he's living with were guys that were much more like me. And like, so, and then, you know, he knows what he wants and he kind of goes for it and it's very admirable. And then it's very touching and sad as he like sort of stalks her out in Bermuda because she obviously doesn't want him to be there, but she doesn't not want him to be there. And then he gets there and then he has to even search the island for her and it's very small and it's easy to find her and even there they're like oh you must be i think his name's brian or something <laughs> they're like you must be brian like she told you she told us you would probably show up i don't know it's very it's very touching and sad and moving and it was uh i mean we'll see when i read it the first time around that was my favorite one reminded me so, a lot of all the dumb stuff that we used to do uh to try to impress some girl that we thought we were in love with uh, you know and it reminded me a lot of of some unrequited situations that i i was in back in in the day too so yeah so maybe i'm falling for nostalgia 
Ryan, now you gotta give us oh, oh, now I do? Okay, well, let's, uh, let's see. I was uh, in college at the University of Wisconsin, and I had a thing for a, a classmate who was a year older, and she was going to be going to grad school at the University of Virginia, and she was just going to be, you know, gone, and knew she was going to be gone, and uh, when she was gone, I was, like, determined to follow her <laughs> there eventually. <laughs> Fortunately, she she put me in 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 my place, and uh, yeah. So, but you know, like him, I you know married. Everything's good. <laughs> but yes, just no regrets. No, no, none no, at all. No, no. I mean, it was just it's one of those things where you you have these uh, you know you're you're young and uh, you have these dreams and you think you want to follow them and you know you you realize 20 years later that oh no you're glad that didn't happen it reminded me a little bit the relationship dynamic um with dud and gloria where it's a younger more optimistic happy guy and an older a little more cynical to the world woman and saying oh this will never work and he tries to make it work (laughs) So it kind of reminded me of that dynamic mm. a little bit. That's true. And I had a similar level of disappointment when it didn't work in both cases. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was like, why can't it work? You know, I, 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 you know, I was definitely the hopeless romantic in both the situations. I was just thinking uh, the other day about like, well, Gloria really, you know, she really closed the door before, you know, prematurely. Why couldn't <laughs> she have just bought in? <laughs> and uh, Liz was kind of like the mom is in the story. Like she's too old for you, you know, telling him she's too old for you. What are you doing with her? Um, yeah. Well, um, I think like the differences in their worldviews, like are pretty perfectly exemplified. And like, there's one exchange between dead and Gloria. Ever heard of Paul Gauguin? No. He was a stockbroker in Paris, but then he quit to become an artist. He sailed for Tahiti and never came back. I like this guy. He left behind his wife and kids, and when he got to Tahiti, gave half the island syphilis. Why are you telling me this? Because there's no such thing as paradise. Yeah, there is. Dud is still young enough to believe that there is some kind of paradise that can be found, like, uh, where everyone's not just striving, like, endlessly to, towards some goal. And uh, she kind of feels like there's still real-world uh, repercussions to someone just, uh, you know, someone else's irresponsibility that other people have to pick up the slack. Karen was a caregiver also, um, you mm-hmm. know, so Gloria was taking care of her mom and Karen oh, did shit, that for right. too. Good. Yeah. Cool. Good point. Right. So, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't reread this one, so I was just as we were talking, sort of leafing through, trying to remember what it was about, and um, it hit me just in sort of looking at a couple pages. I was like, oh yeah, it was a story with the the older woman, and she's kind of she thinks her husband is a ghost, and her glory days are way behind her, and and then there's this young guy and young and woman who are like helping her and she sort of in a way sets them up. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's great expectations. It's Pitt and Miss Havisham. 
which I, and then I was like, oh, is, it, is that mentioned in here at all? <laughs> I don't know if it's ever directly referenced in the story, but I, I was a big uh, Charles Dickens head in high school. I like read all of his books, like wrote all these papers on them. And I was really, into, I was really into that stuff. So it's all buried somewhere deep in, oh. deep in the brain. Well, there's like, there's a great line in the, in the story about how she's haunting her own house which like I think definitely is a parallel to Miss Habersham, like there, and just sort of locked in the past and everything. Mm. So yeah. That's interesting. She always wears the same dress as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Surely, yeah, surely that's on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Surely so. people know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I, yeah, he's big on he's big on references and um, homages illusions. and whatnot. I really appreciated the abruptness though what with which that character was dispatched. On? That that um I'm sorry. With that, that uh, he he messes up and he he gets noticed breaking the rules of Meals on Wheels and that's it and and yeah. just doors just closed kind of unceremoniously. <laughs> um, well, he makes like a, a going away joke too. He's like, I had her put me in my will. And <laughs> yeah. Now I just have to murder her. I just have to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I just have to kill her. <laughs> have any of y'all uh, done like Meals on Wheels like delivery? food stuff like that no my uh my older sister did when I was younger and I remember there was one older woman that she became very close with named Ruth and we used to uh my parents ran like a small gardening business and so my little brother and I would go over and plant uh flowers for her like on Saturdays and it was just it's it's just interesting like walking into different people's worlds like that and like uh you only get to know them for a brief while because usually I mean if they're shut-ins, you know, their, their health isn't doing so great, but like, um, it's sort of beautiful and fleeting and, uh, and a really unique experience. I've delivered a good amount of food in my days. And one, one time I delivered, I delivered the food and this is a place I think I was probably the, the line cook, the dishwasher and would run random deliveries. And, uh, I showed up in this, nice old lady probably easily north of 80 and i'm here with her food she's like come in come in okay uh and everything you say and you kind of enter you kind of cross the precipice and you're like in this in their world right and it took me a second because i'm like you know like dealing with her up at the eye level and like a couple like maybe 35 seconds in i realized she has no pants and no (laughs) underwear (laughs) And you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure why that happened, but I also have a job to do and I didn't want to disrespect her and like embarrass her. So I just went along and, and they want to talk longer and whatnot. So we just had like a 10 minute delivery conversation as she like unpacked her food and she just straight up had nothing on between her blouse. You know, you just see, you got to go on with life there. But yes, going into people's homes and delivery is very, is, can be very odd. And, and, uh, Heartwarming. She was a sweet lady. Anyway, there was an aside for you. Anybody else want to, we're probably wrapping up here soon, although this has been amazing and I can't wait to do it again. Other final thoughts on Bermuda or sneak peeks of what's to come or some things you're starting to think about Jim Gavin's prose. We'll kind of throw a couple things out there. Uh, I, I read on the like back jacket of the book that it's kind of a, someone said it was similar to like Dubliners by James Joyce. And so I'm interested to see the parallels there. So honestly, I only really remember the dead from Dubliners, so I'm not sure if uh, I'll be much good. But uh, yeah, 
I find it fascinating. I mean, I've only lived in Southern California for like three years, so um, I love I love the ubiquitousness of um, Del Taco a lot. Mm. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, like, they ta- they talk about Del Taco like at length, and or not at length, but they mention it in both stories so far. Oh, I it like keeps that. going. <laughs> Every story. Jim Del Taco. Yeah. Jim 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 Del Taco. Yeah. Yeah. Did he ever yeah, explain he, that? Did I mean, was there any real significance that he work at Del Taco? I can't. Or is I it think just he's just a big motif. Fan. Big fan. I think he eats a lot of Del yeah. Taco. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, I get it. They're, they're they're pretty good. Like little chicken tacos. Get out of here. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we ate there on our way into Long Beach and out of Long Beach. Oh yeah, were, that's great. They were great. Yeah. Perfect bookend. To, uh, yeah. to your there was also the beginning of that one episode in season two that ha- has the beginning there's like a he, he, there's a con- connection with him and and James Joyce that's like sort of light but there I don't know I think it circles the one that begins with the quote from James Joyce right Jim yeah I think so but this there's makes me want to reread Dubliners now actually which I still have and I haven't read since college Mike read what you got you pulled some quotes the, the epigraph here is, every life is many days, day after day. We walk through ourselves, meeting robbers, ghosts, giants, old men, young men, wives, widows, brothers in love, but always meeting ourselves, which is a, a nice, uh, I think, encapsulation of this book uh, or, or a kind of omnibus generally, but also, I think, really, of Lodge 49. And that's Ulysses, not Dubliners, but it's uh, <laughs> it's Joyce on its sleeve, right? And Ryan, you have a copy Joyce of on his sleeve. Is kind of yeah, Dubliners. I was just Gavin. like, I, I know I got it around here, and it was behind my computer. So yeah, I've got um, yeah, I got some. I was an English major in college too, so I mostly <laughs> studied uh, early twentieth century British stuff. So oh. I was big on uh, Joyce and Eliot and stuff like that. So oh, there's a there's a great um, quote in Lodge Forty Nine from. Uh, uh, Ford Maddox Ford that uh, Jocelyn says, and old old beautiful memories white. Is there some heaven where old beautiful times prolong themselves? Basically, you know, uh, all the good times that we have are, are are fleeting. I was just gonna say what we haven't necessarily gotten into just how funny Jim Gavin is and and how many hilarious lines there are in these stories. And oh, I just, yeah. just like, happened upon one just turning a page is like. Karen is at this rock show with him and his friends, and she says, I'm the oldest person here. And then he says, it's an all-ages show. (laughs) 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 And then one of his friends is like, oh, my aunt is going to come. She's probably way older than you. It's like, like, not what you want to hear when you actually are the oldest person. (laughs) But, Yeah. Uh, excited to I make gonna put the effort in to definitely reread other stories. I've had a really hard time reading being in lockdown. Just I've been by myself for seven weeks now, <laughs> alone. And you would think that that's like the perfect time to read, but I actually like can't focus very well on reading <laughs> for whatever variety of of reasons. Um, it's okay. No pressure. <laughs> Why aren't you writing the next great novel, Jim? I am actually working on Why are you wasting your time in the middle of a (laughs) pandemic when you should be utilizing your time? I think all the pressure to do something great. One of of you guys in the podcast said said you were looking forward to something like this happening so you could actually accomplish something. I don't know what it was. (laughs) It's definitely me. I, I... 
you know, I kind of felt the same way. I'm like, oh man, I wish the earth would just like stop moving and then I could yeah. accomplish something. And no, the quite, you know, quite the opposite is, has happened. I'm, you know, working from home, dealing with all this other stuff, uh, dealing with home family, trying to work at the same time. It's insane. Uh, I'm more tired than I've ever been. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, guess, yeah. I wish I could so, accomplish yeah. more, more naps. That's all I want to accomplish. <laughs> Napping is awesome. Nothing. Just cooking all my meals, planning the next meal, and then washing up after is taking so much time. I'm like, how do people ever do this? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's awesome. Shopping was a pain in the ass before. It's it's yeah. Now it's a commando uh, expert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Risking death every time you go out. Yeah. What's what's that like in New? Are y'all in New York City? Like yeah, the big uh, well, city, Bart Big I, Apple. Bar and I are. I, yeah. Okay. I normally am, but I'm the douchebag that escaped upstate. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, he's not allowed back. <laughs> I mean, because LA is not, uh, you know, not um, great right now. But uh, but New York seems um, like pretty scary, pretty intense up there. It's been pretty intense. I think it's I think it's calming down a little bit. You know, it was like sirens constantly all day constantly. long and night for a while, and that's that's subsided. Um, most people are wearing masks. Like most people, there's still some people who you're like, why aren't you doing the things? Like, why are you walking too close to me and not wearing a mask? But yeah. most people are being considerate and smart. Uh, there's a lot more ways. masks. There's a lot more masks, but there's a lot of, um, it's when the weather's nice, um, they're not like they're out and about. It's, mm-hmm. it's not great. I feel yeah, like that's, um, sorry, go ahead. I don't know. I, I, to me, it feels like I was like adamant and changing gloves and doing this, that, and the other for like three weeks, but then you start to lose momentum. And I can understand why people do that. But like, also it's like, well, you know, I only know one neighbor down the road who died. It doesn't, it like, it, it yeah. seems like the pressure of how serious it was has, has subsided somewhat. Yeah. So, so now that, equates with how much less I'm going to notice that I touched a door handle and didn't wash my hands immediately. So like the adjustment period, you know, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about that. Like getting too uh, like passe about things, not being vigilant enough, but I, I still try to stay to strict sort of codes, but, and I don't go too well, many places anyway. So yeah. Well, and it's strange. It's like the longer it go- goes on, like the more you feel like you've done enough to to like keep it yeah. from getting to your. And it's like that's just not the case. You just have to yeah. keep going. No. And it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. You could it could happen today or tomorrow or mm-hmm. three days from now. The same, or same seven thing. months from now. <laughs> or seven months from now. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It, it, but it is exhausting, and I understand why people like lose steam. Yeah. You know, like you know it uh, like i tried not to get angry like i think that this is a great time to hate on people because you're like because you know i'm like what the you're walking down the middle of the fucking sidewalk you asshole you know like oh you're walking with your dog and you have no mask or you or the joggers for christ's sakes the joggers everybody jogging like drives me berserk because they're just like a big you know 
you know, pig pen cloud of fucking <laughs> of droplets. <laughs> right. And and like you gotta get out of their way. And then when you get out of their way, then there's somebody in the street and they're jogging. It's so annoying. It's um, a lot of joggers. There's a lot of joggers. My best the joggers. best the best time I the best outside moment I had was a couple weeks ago. I woke up at like five o'clock randomly. It was raining and I just went outside for it's like no one is out yet. It's raining and I had the streets to myself and that was the it's like who cares that it's raining? I have some, I'm outside and nobody else is around. <laughs> so you got to like grab yeah. your moments, I guess, where you can, you know? All right. So maybe we'll go out with here with uh, maybe a, and, uh, a round of everyone share one thing they've learned about themselves in the last, uh, during lockdown, go a little deep introspective. Uh, it can be mundane. It can be magical. Julie, you want to start us off? Do you have one thing you've learned about yourself in lockdown? I really love my son's teachers. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. <laughs> Ryan, what about you? What's one thing you've learned about yourself in lockdown? I'm playing way too many video games. And, uh, you know, I just a total escape from this reality. And, um, you know, part of me is like, is I sh- not setting a good example for my kids who are playing too many video games, but I just needed to cope. Just, just need that escape. Mike, what about you? Give us a, one reflective learning thing in lockdown. I, I kind of feel like like Bermuda. I, I don't really like this very much, and I'm going to really miss it when it's gone. Uh, and, and so I haven't realized that a couple of days ago. Realized that I need to, like, you know, really embrace it. Um, uh, I've, I've got a, a young child and uh, fun to be around, but also, like, found myself being kind of a, a jerk disciplinarian. I'm like, oh, it's too short for that, you know? Need to, need to have the nice time with the kid while <laughs> the kid's a kid uh here here when we're all together um and not just getting each other like at the end of the day the dregs you know uh or or the the yeah try to be um a bit more in the moment jennifer i'm kind of an introvert so spent kind of a lot of time at home already so i thought you know i'd be used to this but i don't know i guess the anxiety like you were saying, you know, it's harder to focus. It's harder to get things done than I would have thought. And definitely I'm appreciating my kids' teachers, especially the one in junior high. <laughs> Just every, all their individual teachers have to figure out their own class and the orchestra teachers try to figure out. And I, I guess I just appreciating a lot of people that I hadn't thought of too much before this. So Appreciating them and trying to be, but I think you also have to cut yourself some slack. <laughs> it's kind of a, a different time for everybody, but then I'm right now in the basement hiding from my kids. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to find alone time, but I guess, you know, just really everybody's situation is different. And it's really hard. You know, some people are alone and some people have a lot of people all in a small house trying not to kill each other. So definitely interesting <laughs> i'm like in my second week of working at uh, my friend's uh shop they make uh sets for broadway shows and broadway shut down so they're shut down and so he's doing a great thing and he's making masks face masks for uh nyu and so he was like not only is he turning the shop into a place where you can make the masks but he's also like paying people thirty dollars an hour so he can compete with uh, unemployment because like every, all the guys in his shop or all the people in his shop were immediately unemployed but also 
you know, qualify for unemployment. So, you know, he called me up and was like, I'm paying 30 bucks an hour. Da, da, da. So I'm not a saint for doing it, but I am glad that I'm doing it, but I don't, it's weird. Cause I feel like I, um, I'm like, yes, I'm doing such a good thing, but I'm doing it because, you know, I don't get as a small business owner, I don't qualify for unemployment. So it's nice to have, I'm like, well, you know, but at the same time, I sort of feel like, man, I just I really, really just want to not work. So like, I'm, I'm hoping that, cause I feel like I'm going to probably go back to like, once it seems to be more safe, I'll probably open the restaurant again under different circumstances, limited staff and, you know, just do to go and, and delivery. But I was really looking forward to like a nice six week shutdown but like, how could I turn this down? I don't get unemployment. It's making masks. It's at my buddy's shop. But I feel like um, it's a good cause. I just, it is a good cause. It's a great cause. And I, how could I not do it? But I feel like I just will continue working until I don't know. I just always be working. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. I was like, oh. and I feel bad about it to some degree because I want to like, I'm like, all right, because like he wants to build seventy thousand masks. So I, I don't know if it's over at 70,000 or if, so it's like this weird predicament. Like if we, you know, if the, if the tragedy continues, we could be making, you know, 80,000, 90,000, a hundred thousand masks. So maybe the work could go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I could go without missing a beat of like a paycheck almost, even though I don't get unemployment. So I can't like, you know, turn it down, but I would love to just, I was really loving naps and movies and, reading uh so as everyone was talking i was trying to fix my hair because my thing but the 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 headphones are messing it up but what i was going to say is i've discovered i'm not as bad as cutting my at cutting my own hair as i would have thought because i've done it twice now (laughs) and even though it doesn't look great right now it actually is like much more competent than i would assume for someone who's never done that before you look better with longer Um, hair i think (laughs) yeah yeah i was thinking about just growing it way out we'll see we'll see I might learn other things about myself, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a weird time. Claire? Uh, I have learned there is a ceiling for how many times you can rewatch Frasier. So <laughs> that's good to know. More seriously, um, I kind of am in a, the opposite situation of Jennifer. Uh, I'm pretty extroverted. I really like going out and being amongst people. I love being on set. Uh, so I thought I was going to be just abjectly miserable. And um, I've actually discovered I kind of like my own company more than I thought I would, which is, it's a dope time to discover that, you know, (laughs) it's a pretty nice time to discover that. Um, I've been trying like meditation and shit, which like I never really went in for mindfulness. There's just something to be said for like when, when our days are so mundane, like finding little joy and like just becoming completely absorbed in the present, like as much as you can, because we don't know what the future is going to be. And like in the past, there's a lot of pain sometimes and just other stuff that we can long for, but like, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll wrap it up here. I think what I've reflected on is in my career and in my personal life, I've spent a lot of time on the internet the last 20 years, just as to where the world has taken me for a variety of reasons. And it's been really kind of awesome to see blossom even more and not in a way that, in a way that I've been reconnecting with, reconnecting with friends or and communities the lodge 49 community seem you know indoors that's a great example and like almost like weekly and sometimes daily joy there uh, connecting with people that i've worked with and worked for and worked with me 
friends, you know, the text chains have been blowing up. And so it's like almost like it's like gardening, right? Which I've also been, you know, you, you, you kind of tend something and you nurture it. And then when you need it, it kind of really is there is there to blossom. And so uh, I've been kind of an, an all in on the internet for a long time. And, and it kind of kind of soured on it to a degree uh, and all the, the gross and negativity around it. Um, and so to see that those connective tissues actually emerge and actually have been strong through this has actually been, I don't know, it's been, uh, it's been life affirming and, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm alone. And of course I have my wife and daughter, but, um, and that's awesome, but it doesn't, I don't feel isolated. I still feel highly connected to people I barely know, but share interests with. And for people that I've known for 30 and 40 years, and, and that's been, that's been a, a thing to relearn and not just relearn, but also to be able to use as a, a medicine and a lifeline through these last whatever couple of years uh, or six weeks or whatever it is at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for joining. This has been amazing. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to do this. Definitely going to do this again. So I invite every thank single you. one of you back for the the next edition. We'll have more details and those out and listener land you as well. I think this is where I think we are going to run this as a podcast. Well, the next two books, right? I mean, the next two stories. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'll give that. That'll be. Elephant Doors and Illuminati. Uh, so those will be awesome. the next two that we'll we'll talk about. I don't think we're prepared to announce when that will be right now, but you'll you'll we'll have it out. And uh, all of our Lodge Forty Nines friends here that joined us and gave such great conversation, and then you out there, if you want to jump in, the water's warm. So uh, we'll be back soon enough. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Aloha, bitches. Aloha, bitches. Aloha, bitches. That should be a saying, Herm. It is. I just said it.